Hi, and welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Medical Mutual. I'm your host, Dan Paletta. Glad you can be with us. If the 2021 class of Cranes 20 and their 20s is any indication, Northeast Ohio is in good hands for years to come. These young professionals are hardworking, engaged, innovative, forward-thinking, altruistic, and proactive. They care about their work and their communities. This year's class members hail from vocations that represent Northeast Ohio's diverse community of companies and organizations. They're lawyers who are helping immigrants and doing pro bono work to represent tenants. They're entrepreneurs making a name for themselves in marketing, tech, and e-commerce. They're members of nonprofit organizations who are planning neighborhoods and training our workforce. And they are so much more. Their future, and in turn, that of Northeast Ohio, is bright. We're glad to welcome Brandilyn Cook, an immigration attorney from Lorenzen Law. Ryan Sowers is the development officer for corporate relations at University Hospitals. Samira Malone is a neighborhood planning project coordinator for Midtown Cleveland. Thanks, you guys, for being with us today. Really appreciate it. So let's start, and I'll start with you, Brandilyn. What does it mean to be one of Crane's 20 in their 20s? Well, um, I'm thrilled to be included in this group of individuals that are being recognized for our work. It is a true honor, and I am grateful to be here. Ryan, what does it mean to you to be part of this august group of people, young people? Well, I am uh, fairly new to Cleveland. I've only been here for two years. So for me, it feels like I've been welcomed to Cleveland with open arms. And uh, we've got a great community here that gives a lot of folks the ability to make impact. So this is just a, a tremendous honor. Uh, excited to be here. Samira, how about for you? It's uh, an honor and a blessing to be involved and in, to be included in this uh, cohort of 20 in their 20s. And as a lifelong Cleveland resident, um, it just means a lot to me to be able to do this work in my community and then also be honored and acknowledged for it. Brandon, let's talk about your career path. You wanted to be a lawyer. There are a number of different areas of the law you could have studied, but you chose immigration law. Why? Yes. So I actually began in criminal defense with the idea and belief that everyone deserves a fair trial. And in immigration law, that is actually not the case. Um, Not that it's not a fair trial necessarily, but we do not provide respondents with the right to counsel as we do in the criminal realm. So um, naturally, with the idea that everyone deserves a, a fair trial, I believe that that Um, goes along with having counsel to defend you. So I entered into immigration law and also it aligns with a personal connection of mine. My mom is a Honduran immigrant and she immigrated here in the early 80s. So, you know, but for her sacrifices and her journey here, I don't know where I would be. So just having that in mind, um, I think that this is a good area in which that I can give back and not only give back to the community, but give back to my mom and the sacrifices that she made in order to better my life um, and being here. This is The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a word from our partner, Medical Mutual. You've said that interning at the Harvard Immigration Refugee Clinic was a real determining point in your life. What took place there? Yes. So I am just honored and grateful to have been able to have worked alongside some of the great brilliant minds that are are involved with the HERC, which is the Harvard Immigration Refugee Clinic. Um, There I learned what it really means to be motivated by the pursuit of justice and fairness uh, for all. 
there we, uh, I worked directly with an asylee who was from Ecuador and she was seeking refuge from the Ecuadorian government um, who was persecuting her and her family for being part of an indigenous group there. She was living in a church that was on the Harvard campus with her two infant daughters. Um, and she was living in the church in order to basically avoid being detained by ICE and being placed in detention during the pendency of her asylum proceedings before the court. Um, so just working with her and her you know, two infant daughters just really solidified for me the pathway that I was following and knowing that, you know, we're all human beings at the end of the day and uh, there are basic human rights that we all deserve um, no matter where you come from. Uh, I think borders are, you know, arbitrary and they're man-made. Um, so in order to secure the rights that we all just are endowed by existing, I think that, um, the work that Herc does is very aligned and close to that. Ryan, for you, I was reading about you and I thought about, I grew up in the era of Woody Hayes when he was the coach of the Buckeyes. And he used to tell his players all the time, you can't pay back, you have to pay forward, which of course comes from Emerson. And that seems to be the driving characteristic of how you ended up in your line of work. What led you to this concept of philanthropy? What made it so important that that's what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah, I guess it started when, uh, when I was a little kid. So basically I came, came from very humble beginnings. Um, when I was about five or six, my, my father, he uh, had a stroke. The stroke was brain, a brain tumor. Brain tumor was brain cancer. On, on top of that, um, I had my sister with cerebral palsy. And so it made, it made growing up a, a pretty, pretty tough experience because we really didn't have much. But what we did have was an awesome family, uh, a great family that, that uh, always supported me to get to me, you know, get me to where I'm, where I'm at now. But a very quick story, essentially, we needed a handicap accessible van for my sister. Uh, she's, she's in a wheelchair. And essentially, we had no money to buy one. And so we had two of my sister's friends come together. And it was when Beanie Babies were huge. And they sold their entire Beanie Babies collection in a community auction, which raised us about $40,000 to buy this handicap accessible van for my sister. And so from five, six years old, my entire life has been shaped by the generosity of others and philanthropy. I got to Bowling Green State University. I was on a full ride there for academic leadership and merit uh, through the Alumni Laureate Scholarship. And again, it would have been a pretty tough go of it if, if I didn't have the support of, of philanthropy and generosity for me to just get my education. And I thought I was going to be a teacher. I, I went through my entire career at Bowling Green thinking I was going to be a teacher. My last semester, I looked at my mom. I was sitting in a coffee shop in Bowling Green, Ohio. And I, I actually I called my mom and I'm like, hey, I think I don't want to be a teacher and I want to be a fundraiser. I think I want to pursue a career in philanthropy. And she thought I was nuts. And so I just went on this like interviewing journey to interview with as many uh, people that I knew in fundraising. And I basically sat them down. I said, tell me how you got to where you are now. And what do I need to do now to, to, to do this? I have a passion for giving back. My whole entire life has been shaped by paying it forward. So help me get to where you are and, and take those steps. So that's kind of how I got into fundraising. And I've never looked back. I've been, been doing it now for, for six years. One of your goals, you said, is you wanted to expand the amount of corporate donors for university hospitals. Was that an area that had gone untapped? I think 
it it's an interesting space. I mean, we have changed as an institution in great positive strides over the last, I would say five to 10 years. And so for me, I came from the American Heart Association. And so we were running internal corporate campaigns for companies all throughout Cincinnati. Uh, and I, I worked on this event called the Heart Mini uh, in Cincinnati. It's one of the biggest fundraising events in, in all Cincinnati, bringing together like 26,000 people to, to run a race for the American Heart Association. And so I had that in my mind coming to university hospitals and saying, wow, how do we engage our corporate community here in Cleveland, which is massive and generous? Um, how do we come together and do something really special at UH? So I had a great, great support system from a lot of my mentors at UH and my team to, to help me create a strategic plan. And, you know, it takes a village. It really does. And so we are going into kind of corporate 2.0. You know, how are we really being thoughtful, intentional, and authentic with our corporate partners and trying to find a new mindset with our corporate partners that we have a vested interest in seeing each other succeed? That's exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, we're an anchor institution here in Cleveland, you know, being university hospitals. And so how do we work with other companies um, like the Sherwin-Williams of the Worlds or the Parker Hannafins, the Swage Locks? and do something really, really special to impact the lives of, of Northeast Ohioans. Samira, you've uh, decided in a career course in urban planning. And I think to myself, you know, when the, you're in third grade and the teacher says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kids say, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a, a musician. That's probably not one that pops up a lot. So how did you end up there? So I echo a lot of the sentiments that Ryan actually shared previously about kind of making that pivot into something that aligns more so with your passion and your life calling. And when I, when I talk about my entry into planning, I really feel like it was all in the stars um, and I just had to get there. So actually, uh, I had an understanding of the field of planning because my mom actually studied planning while she was in college and graduated with her degree in planning. But it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to go into when I initially got to college. When I started at Cleveland State University back in 2012, I initially went in as a political science major and actually wanted to focus on the law track. And after taking a few law courses and taking a few poli-sci courses, I realized that wasn't something that really invoked the, the sense of passion that I thought it was. So I went and I sat down with a mentor of mine um, over at Cleveland State. And she really just sat down and we had an honest conversation about what my interests were. And I talked to her about my interests of kind of like space and communities, um, specifically black and brown communities, specifically the one that I grew up in, which was the central neighborhood, and getting an understanding of how things ended up the way that they did. And I knew that it was not by accident and that it was by design, but I really wanted to dive deeper and get an understanding of kind of like the disproportionate impacts on these communities, whether that be through social determinants of life, access, uh, resources, uh, connectivity, all of those different things. Um, and I had previously had kind of like an, an, a background in community development as well. I started off as an intern at Burtonville Car, so that really opened up my eyes to the field. So after I shared all of these things with her in my life experience, um, she was just like, I think you should go over to the Urban College and take a few courses and just kind of see, because it sounds like urban planning and urban affairs is where your heart is. So I took a few of those courses. I think my, not think, I know for fact, my first two courses were intro to urban planning as well as uh, 
intro to urban affairs and it was like fireworks went off. I knew that's exactly where I was supposed to be. Uh, so I went on to graduate with my degree in urban planning, um, urban and regional planning from Cleveland State University and was really, really focused and passionate about continuing my professional career here in Cleveland in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. So a really pivotal moment in my professional career is when I had the opportunity to be a Cleveland Foundation Fellow. So I came on in 2019 as a public service fellow and was placed at Midtown Cleveland, where I now work full time as a planner. But I was their planning fellow for a year and I learned so much and I learned so much about the field of planning, because I think that when you're in school and you're studying things, you you get a real theoretical understanding, but you don't really get your chops until you get out into the community and get a chance to actually work on things in real time with people. And I think one of the joys of what I get a chance to do is not just being a steward for the community, but also being a steward alongside the community. I get a chance to work with people and residents, uh, people who remind me of my family. Because uh, again, like I said, I grew up in the neighborhood right next door and get a chance to really work on projects and be an, an asset and a resource to folks. And it makes it so that what I do isn't transactional, it's a labor of love. You've said you want to try to get more people of color interested in working in the field of urban planning. How do we go about doing that? Yes. So I am, one of the things that I'm professionally really, really focused on is getting more black and brown youth into the field of planning. And I talked about this a little bit during my interview, but I think that there's some real un tapped uh, potential partnership between CMSD and the Levin College, especially with the Say Yes to Cleveland initiative. Um, we have an opportunity where students are can have their education paid for them, at least their tuition. Um, and I think that there's some partnership that needs to be touched upon. I don't know if I'm necessarily the person to do it. Uh, <laughs> I would love to be involved. Um, in any shape, form, or capacity, but I, I know myself on a personal level, I want to be a pipeline into getting more Black and Brown students into the field of planning because so often um, in planning for neighborhoods, we see folks that are not from the community and that don't look like the community doing the work. And I think that there is a beauty in having folks in the field who have a living experience who look like the communities that they're planning for. So that is something that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, if you look at the statistics of black and brown planners in the field, it is still abysmally low. So if I can play a hand in getting uh, those numbers up and getting more uh, black architects, more black planners, more black uh, landscape architects, all of those things, more black designers, then absolutely that's something that I'm really, really passionate about because those opportunities were extended to me for me to be where I am today. Randall, and I'm curious, as a young professional, do you see a lot of opportunity for growth in Northeast Ohio? Oh, absolutely. So um, I'm also a native Clevelander, so I'm a, a little biased. Uh, I was born and raised in Cleveland, and I do see, um, you know, in the last five to 10 years, at least a renewed interest in Cleveland, um, even nationally. And uh, I think that, you know, we're a little spoiled with the cost of living here and we do have fun things to do. So if we could attract, um, you know, more young professionals here and build up that uh, sense of community, I think it would not only benefit us as the workers, but the community as the whole. Um, so I do think that there is uh, extreme potential and that we haven't, you know, we have not peaked. So there's much room to grow. Ryan, how about you? You are a recent arrival. So how, how did you find things when you got here? I mean, were people open to welcome you to Northeast Ohio and become involved in the process of being a person involved in the in the corporate community? Yes. I mean, it's been a tremendous experience coming to Northeast Ohio. Um, 
for my wife, Ashley, and I, we thought this is where we want to be. I mean, the, the growth potential here for Cleveland is just off the charts. And coming in as, you know, I'm going to say this in quotes, an outsider, uh, you know, I'm a Cincinnatian. And coming into Cleveland, it was challenging to, to make my way and, and to try to network. But the openness and I would say the generosity of time from others has helped me tremendously in, in just becoming a part of the community. And I think just by the nature of, of, of being at university hospitals, we touch so many lives and you know, we're, we're in 16 counties and growing and being able to go out into the community and, and meet with folks and, and our, at our events and at our, um, you know, different, different things that happen in our system. It's been fantastic to meet more and more corporate partners. And then I went through the Cleveland Leadership Institute, which I would recommend to any young professional in Cleveland. If you're new, if you've been here for a bit, but it's just something that helped me uh, become educated more on Cleveland and helped, again, welcome me in with, with, uh, with open arms. Samir, how did you find the young, the young professional support system in Cleveland? Is there one for young professionals, people in their 20s or organizations, or is it more of an informal thing? Yeah, I think that is both a, a formal and informal kind of situation. I've had the great fortune of being since being born and raised here in Cleveland, much like Brandyland. I have had a sense of like strong social capital around me that has really helped to foster my professional development since being a teen. Um, so being between being involved in my com as a young professional. Um, and being involved with uh, the Sisters of Charity Foundation and being on different advisory boards, I found that the receptiveness and openness to foster youth talent and then shepherd you kind of into your early adult professional career has been very strong and supportive for me. Um, and there have all, I've always been able to go back to the folks who have mentored me um, or have given me resources and continue to kind of lean on them and ask them questions. And, and they kind of shepherd me in this direction that I've been able to um, sit firmly in now. And they just continue to be an ongoing resource, So, which is why it's, it's very important for me to kind of like pick up that baton and pass it on to the next and be a resource to the youth that are coming up underneath us. So we've been talking serious business. I have a couple of maybe less serious questions. Brendalyn, you said if you weren't going to be an immigration lawyer, you wanted to run a breakfast cafe. Are you a good cook? Uh, well, I consider myself a good cook. Uh, um, no, I do. I um, So my last name is Cook. And the, the joke that my grandfather um, used, his name is Roy Cook. He'd say, you know, we're not just cooks by name, but by trade. So I think a little bit of that, you know, kind of stuck around. Um, but a lot of it is, I think that food is a um, you know communal experience, much like my previous point. There are just certain things that humans connect over, and food is one of them. It's something that you know we all need to um, in, we all need to consume for sustenance. And if I could um, share an experience with somebody over food, I think that that kind of you know is an icebreaker, if you will, and it kind of just it's just a, a sense of community. So I think that, yeah, if I wasn't a lawyer and in such a serious job, I would probably um, break bread with, with a community uh, in a cafe or, or something along those lines. Ryan, we have something in common. We both took Latin. You took one, one more year than I did. Um, do, how did it, how did it help you? I, I took, I took four years by the fourth year. I'm like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but I, did it help you? Did it help you? How? Well, Dan, so I, <laughs> So basically, I um, I took five years of it, and I actually, to 
to be honest, I almost flunked out after the first year. I was so bad. I was so bad at it. And then I had a great teacher um, that, that kept me going in it. I thought for the longest time I was either going to be a doctor, like I actually wanted to be a pediatrician or Indiana Jones. Those were the only two options. And so I thought being able to speak Latin would help me in either career. And, and now, um, well, it helped me a lot on the SATs when I was taking the test, like ACT, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the words, of course, that we're using every single day come from Latin. Um, I think it's something like 95 or 99% come from Latin now. So it helped me a lot, but um, I, I haven't practiced it in years, I, I'm sad to say. Samir, I have to say I admire you. I can barely roller, roller skate. Apparently, you are a competitive ice skater. <laughs> yes, I did competitive figure skating as a kid, probably from like ages late seven to 13. And I, from time to time, still love to get on the ice. I can't hurl my body in the air as high as I used to when I was a small <laughs> child. But I definitely enjoy figure skating. I've always been into sports, specifically competitive sports. I'm a bit of a competitive person, but yeah, figure skating was, it was one of my greatest joys. Let me quickly ask you about that because it's interesting. People have different takes on sports and people are like, oh, it's too overemphasized. But what lessons do competitive sports teach you that you apply now? So the lessons that competitive sports teach me, I, I taught me, I think one of the biggest things that everyone takes away is to be able to work on a team, to be able to work with folks and understanding that you can't get a goal accomplished if everyone isn't working in some type of unison or doesn't have some type of shared common goal. Um, another thing that it taught me is it taught me the importance of time management. I mean, competitive figure skating, especially for a small child, that takes a lot of like coordination and discipline. For time, you have to be able to be available to practice several hours a week, sometimes twice a day. Um, you're going at figuring out how to do your tricks, you're coordinating schedules to be able to go to competitions. Um, and it really, really taught me the importance of time in my time specifically as, as a very young child. So uh, those are two like major, major takeaways. And then it also just taught me that you can be extremely successful doing something that you love. I used to watch professional figure skaters and be like, wow, you guys get a chance to get paid to skate on the ice and do something that you love and wear cute outfits. <laughs> so <laughs> it taught me that just to follow your passion, <laughs> to follow your passion and that if it is something that's supposed to happen, then it will, the universe will make it so. That's good to hear. Well, guys, it's been a great pleasure having you join us. Brendan Cook, Ryan Sowers, Samira Malone. Congratulations on being part of Crane's 20 in their 20s. It's a great pleasure to have you all join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're glad you could join us for the landscape as well. We are a Crane's Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Medical Mutual. For our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. We'll talk to you again soon.